In your Bible, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 28. And let me also say this. I, you know, with my dad being a man of a God, he's, he's, he has served this community and various people and married, buried people, counseled people, preached for it over years. And uh, I told the story this morning to Sunday, to Sunday school class that even though Dip has passed, Dip was one of those individuals who were, he had a couple of strokes. And he would see my dad coming sometime, didn't, well, he wasn't quite doing the right thing. Dip would see him coming 100 lot in his wheelchair. He'd go <laughs> driving off around the corner, <laughs> around the back of the building. <laughs> my dad just stayed for a while. Dip come back around and greet my dad. Said, well, Rev, you've been here kind of long, huh? About <laughs> time, Rev. <laughs> But my dad's had that kind of relationship over the years when the store, Hayden's store, was down there. Some of you don't remember Hayden, so you weren't here. Some of you do. That was a hangout place, domino cars and a lot of other stuff. <laughs> when I was a kid, we used to live at 387 Drake, where, where the barrel Jew used to live. But we grew up there initially before we moved on Park Circle. <clears throat> and um, they used to have the mailboxes actually... Um, cement block, I think if I recall, and the box is there, and the mailman would go and put the the uh, the mail there. And I think my brother, when he was younger, was on top of that and fell out and knocked himself out <laughs> cold. You know, uh, I, I recall I was and back there. Parents, I, they they didn't believe in the doctor. You fell and got hurt. You just you you'll be okay before you grow up. <laughs> you know. I, I, I was, I recall, I recall this vividly. I knocked out my two front teeth. They came back full force, though, <laughs> later. I recall I was running in the yard, and I was going to jump the fence. <laughs> Took off to run to jump on this chair and jump over the fence, and my foot slipped. And bam, right into the fence. Knocked out my two front teeth. I went into the house, and yeah, I'm up. She's upstairs. She didn't even come downstairs. <laughs> oh, boy, you're going to be okay before you get married. Oh. I'm calling crying. She saw a lady. was kind of saying, but that time, yeah, you'd be okay. I think I went back outside and played, you know. <laughs> but we got memories. My dad's desire has always been to see grandkids. Then it was extended, Lord, I want to see them then married. And then I want to see them, the grand, great-grands. <laughs> and the prayer kept going on and on. Wanted to see his grandson playing ball. I said this on Wednesday. My nephew Josh finally made it to the NBA. He got a 10-day contract. With the Dallas Mavericks, went last Wednesday. It's killing him to sit on the bench right now, though. But Josh is in the NBA right now. He played over in China, and his agent told him, uh, stay close to the phone. He told him, stay in shape. Stay in shape when you get back. Stay in shape. His dream as a little kid 
was to play in the NBA. He only 5'11". But you're not going to find a better ball handler, one of the best shooters around. And he takes challenges seriously. You tell him he can't do something, he's going to try to prove you wrong. That's just how he is. Try to prove you, prove you wrong. I think that for my dad, that was one of the things. <laughs> He better, he should, how come he not in the NBA, you know? He's in the yelling to television, you know what I'm saying? He could be there, you know, but <laughs> keep him in prayer. But he's there now. We don't know, if, you know, if, he's, if he'll, he'll stay, but um, he's done well over in China for three years. Uh, he's been in the top ten in scoring all three years he's been there. Um, he's just he's done, done well, and... One of the problems, I need to say this, one of the problems is that the NBA is a business, and it can be very cruel and tough, knowing the right people. Um, and, and, and one of the things, one of the things that has really kind of plagued him, I think God has done a work in his life to really help temper, to help him. Because clearly there were times, he'd come out of Pelham, nobody knew who he was. He didn't come from no big school. But one of the things that's really interesting is that, he didn't quit, and even though he would call the house sometimes crying and wanting to quit, having to keep him encouraged because of some of the stuff that's happened. He could tell you the story. I won't go on, but I just want you to keep him in prayer um, because it's huge. You know, it's huge in regards to his goal. And so I want to thank God. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, and I have a message today for the body of Christ that the Lord has given me that I hope will challenge you. Well, okay, I hope all the messages challenge you. <laughs> and it is a message that I want you to take to heart. I set my phone here to keep time of a sermon, so... Want this is get no so that you can get out of here before tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so don't worry about sleeping tonight. The Lord will bless you. <laughs> Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, and it reads, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee. Matthew 28, 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Verse 17. I'm going to read through 20. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them. Verse 18. And said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Today, Lord, may your servant speak the word of God. Bless today in Jesus' name. Amen. As a title, I've given this message, Obeying the Great Commission. Obeying the Great Commission. The church has become so comfortable with the pastor and ministers or those in leadership 
fulfilling the Great Commission, many have become just comfortable the laity. Somehow, many in the body of Christ have equated church attendance as obeying the Great Commission. If I had the job of some people today where I could get hired and then not work, man, I would have it made. <laughs> the Lord gave instructions about what was to be done. And as we look at this passage today, I pray that you apply the Lord's command that you go to your very life. The first point that we want to address, you're writing it down, is meeting Jesus at the designated place. Meeting Jesus at the designated place. We don't know what mountain in Galilee Jesus told his disciples to go to. However, last week in the sermon I mentioned that the angel had told Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to tell his disciples to meet him in Galilee. Go to Galilee, tell my disciples to go there and meet me there. Before Jesus had died, he told them evidently that they were to go to Galilee after he rose from the dead. But remember, they had been in hiding because they feared that they too would be arrested and that they would be killed by the religious leaders because they were followers of Jesus Christ. Notice, if you will, that they are sent to a certain place. The Greek word for which we get the word apostle is apostolos. The word apostolos means one who is sent. That's what the Greek word means, apostolos, one who is sent. So these disciples who have been trained by Christ during the last few years in an, inter, in an interesting play on words, have been sent to Galilee. Like some people I know today, I'm not going to mention no names, I don't think. <laughs> like some people I know, they would probably have questioned, why do we have to go there? I can hear the Lord over here. Why we got to travel that distance? I can just stay right where I'm at. Some of our blessings have been stopped up because we have failed to go to the designated place that God has told us to go to. If the disciples had decided within themselves that we are not going to Galilee, they would not have seen the Lord in Galilee. The Bible doesn't say which mountain he told them to go to, but he said go to the place. So we have to assume in Scripture that when they went to the mount that he had already told them, this is the mount in Galilee that you're supposed to go to when I rise. Now, it had been stated two times by the Lord. Or let me back up. It had been stated twice after his resurrection, once by the angel that came and rolled the stone away, that said, when the women came, tell his disciples, go tell his disciples to meet him in Galilee. And while they were on their way to meet, to tell the disciples, Jesus himself came and greeted the women and told them, reaffirm and tell my disciples to go to the place 
where I told them to go. The Bible says in Luke 6.46, I want you to type up Luke 6.46, and we're going to read it from the board. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. And why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? There is a customary response by many people that say, I love the Lord. I love doing all that God has called me to do. But the Lord says in Luke, why do you call me Lord, but don't do what I say? There is a direct correlation between obeying the Lord and loving the Lord. Calling the Lord your master and your king can only be done in the sense that one is being obedient to what God has said in Scripture. Notice that the disciples did not say to Jesus, I'm not going, but they went immediately without question. We don't find the disciples questioning the angels, the Lord, Mary Magdalene, the other Mary. We don't find they simply went to the place. Now, earlier, if you remember in Scripture, after Jesus had chosen the disciples, one of the things that's really interesting in Scripture is that whenever Jesus wanted to get away, he would go to lonely places, desert places. He would go to places to pray. Because of the miracles that he was performing, because of his life, because of all that was happening, there were crowds of people always thronging around him. Not because they wanted to be saved or hear the Lord, but because they saw what he was doing. Here's a man that can do great things. Lord, show us more stuff. And so what Jesus oftentimes had to do, he had to go away. And the Bible says that he would get up early in the morning at times and he would go into the mountains and get away from the crowds to pray. Now, Jesus had followers besides the 12. Now, one of the followers that we know prior to him dying or at that point was Judas Iscariot, of Iscariot, and he committed suicide, he died, and so we have 11 disciples. But prior to this time, Jesus, in going and preaching and teaching, had several disciples, actually, that were around him. Many people that he had instructed. And the Bible says that on one occasion, after coming from prayer, he designated 12 as to be his inner group and designated those 12 as apostles. They were called disciples. All were called disciples. What is a disciple? Can anyone tell me the definition of what a disciple is? What's a disciple? Talk to me. Discipline, one that follows Jesus, what did you say? When it goes out in multiple, I'm going to deal with that word right there that Brother Kenny has mentioned. A disciple, as pastor would say, is one who learns from his master to be as his master doing what his master does. A disciple was a follower. In the Bible, when a person was a disciple, they had to learn what that teacher taught them so that they could take what they learned and go and do what that teacher did. Today, people say, Pastor, teach me. Now you go and do the work. I'm not going. The pastor's job is to equip, is to teach, and the people were to go. 
If Jesus had remained, the Holy Spirit couldn't have come. It is the body's job to go out and make other disciples. However, we're going to look at the passage. There were four things that he commanded, that he said in that and this great commission. But disciple is a person who learns, he's a follower from that, that, that master or that teacher, and he is a student who learns to go out and do what he does. What does where does the word disciple come from? In the Greek, it comes from the word mathematicus. When you see the word mathematicus, disciple is comes out of that word and it means to multiply. When the Lord told his disciples, as my disciples, to go out, he was telling them, now you go and multiply. I'm talking about babies now. I'm talking about the work of the Lord. Marry, you can have as many children as you want, you know, that's fine. <laughs> right, right? But, but, but it means to multiply, go out and make others like you. Because you are like Christ, right? We know that we are making people, having them to become like Jesus. But if we're following the Lord, you're saying, my life is such to where you can follow me. Now, if it's not that way, there's a problem. There's a problem. There's a problem. There's a problem. If you've been commissioned to go and make disciples, that means that you have to be in a place to where you're hearing. As I said, if the disciples had gone to a different place, they would have missed life changing instructions from the Lord. But the word says that they went to Galilee. Don't don't run past that point. They went to Galilee. They didn't go to the bait store. They didn't go to the laundromat in Sausalito. They went to the designated place that the Lord had set at the appointed time. Sometimes we are in the wrong place at the appointed time. God says, meet me for prayer. Man, now nah, this movie is just too good. I only got four hours to go, Lord. Just in, it's, a four, it's a series, two parts, all playing at night. I'm going to watch all of it. I want you to get up in the morning and spend ten minutes with me. Oh, Lord, I'm just too tired. Can't get it. Mm-mm, Lord, it's just too much. Not being in the right place. Verse 17 says, then they worshipped him. If Jesus is not whom he claimed to be, the disciples, this inner group here, would have been involved in idolatry. If Jesus Christ is not God, the disciples would have been involved here in idolatry. The first command that God says is that you shall have no other gods before me. Jesus not only hears them, but he receives their worship. But I want you to notice something here. 17 says that when they worshiped him, when they, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now, theologians have had different thoughts about this passage where it says some doubted. It is believed by some that there was other groups of people that might have been there at this time with the Lord, and that those are the people that may have doubted. But the passage signifies the states basically, no, it was the disciples, some of them. Even think about Thomas. 
Thomas says, I won't believe until I see him and put my hand in the nail prints. If I, unless I can touch him. And the Lord appeared in the room where they were. And then Thomas, as you remember, said, my Lord and my God. But even when seen here, the Bible says that some of them doubted. Even though he is standing right there. When we doubt that Jesus will do what he says, it angers him. Did you know that? That when you doubt God, when he has made a promise, that it angers him, it hurts him. Because in your doubting, you're saying, God, you can't do it. And so when you live in life and you say this just can't be done, be done, I don't see how God is going to do it. It's okay to say, Lord, I am struggling with this, but to tell God he can't do something? I told you last week, God didn't consult you when he made this world. He made you on day six after everything else was done. Didn't ask for your input. Didn't even consider, waited till everything was done. Now, let's us make man in our image. Looking at the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Let's make man in our image. That's the Trinity we see at the beginning in the book of Genesis. Day six. And then on day seven, he rested. It's all done. It's all good. And everything, everything is now perfect. You had gotten in the beginning, would have been messed up. Some people are looking for the perfect church. The unfortunate thing is when you get there, no, it's no longer perfect. When you show up, it ain't. No more. Once you step into this, this is it. Perfection has gone away. <laughs> That's for all of us. I'm going to find the perfect church. There ain't nothing... That's going to, no argue nothing. <laughs> that won't happen until the Lord comes back. <laughs> if sinners don't go to church, where are they going to go to get saved? Okay. If the unrighteous and the unholy can't go to church, where are they going to go? There's only two institutions, the world. And the church. Two. You can't be in both. You're in one or the other. Now, I know we like to claim, I'm going to go party on Friday night, Saturday night, get up Sunday morning, we'll be in church. It will be exposed one day. <laughs> Try. I, I told you this story. I'm going to tell it again. I'm going to tell the story. I'm going to just di digress for a minute. I wasn't a cusser growing up. I didn't cuss. Not too much. <laughs> what? I didn't. When I would cuss, it was because I was really upset. I was mad. I was angry. And so I had to prove a point. When I, people know I, and I got I cussed. Oh, Mark was really mad, man. Better back up. He, he cussed. He said, because he don't cuss. Even as a kid, people knew. So I'm going to keep this compartmentalized. I cussed a little bit at school. Don't cuss at home, you know. Can't cuss at home at school and home. Cut that off. 
one day. I'm outside as a kid playing baseball with my neighbor, Keaton Triggs. <laughs> Everybody gathered around the house, our house to play sports. And so we out, I don't know if we were playing strip peggy or whatever we were playing. Uh, it's, a, it's a game. It ain't no, I don't, y'all, don't be going there, y'all. <laughs> y'all my strip peggy. Was a, it's a baseball game. In other words, you had to roll the ball. It's, I, I ain't got time to go through all of that. It's baseball. <laughs> Lord, help us. <laughs> Told y'all, keep perfect church. I ain't, nope. <laughs> In this game, my dad had a little orange Volkswagen. I remember that car went to Mary Boyd, Ronnie. I mean, many people had that little car. car. But he was outside washing his car this day. And I remember it was over. I remember the day. I remember even. I remember what, the, what it even looked like. I remember I was standing. So we were playing, and there was another person, and the ball was hit, and I was going for the ball. And Keithan was coming for the ball, and my dad was washing his car. Running, and we went, boom. First word out of my mouth was a cuss word. Starts with the letter S, and I'm stopping. <laughs> All I saw was Keith in like, because my dad was washing his car, and I didn't realize, and I'm thinking, why is he doing it? And then, they, and then my mind started playing back. You just said a cuss word. <laughs> and when I did, I went like this. Towards my dad, and he had been watching, had stopped, and was looking over his glasses at me, no longer washing his car. My heart dropped. The words that I heard was, get into the house. <laughs> and the only thing I could see Keith in was like, <laughs> Needless to say, no other cuss words came out of my mouth <laughs> at all at home anymore. <laughs> Took one time for me to quickly remember I couldn't do that no more. I quickly learned I can't lead a double lifestyle at home and at school. If I'm going to be who I say I am, it has to be at home. At school, in the kitchen, <laughs> but I ain't calling no names. <laughs> Worship is the primary thing that we are to offer to Christ. And that's what his disciples did. They offered worship. That's what Christ created us for, is to worship him. Worship, worship, worship is your primary responsibility and privilege to offer to God. First thing that Christ says to his disciples as, rec as recorded in Scripture is that all authority, 
all power has been given to me. Look at this. When the Lord came to the disciples, <laughs> in verse 18, he says, all authority. Let me say this. One of the things that I, I want to just make mention of, and I'll be done in about 10 minutes or so, is that Jesus, and that is the second point, has all power. Jesus is the one who has all power. One of the things that's really interesting about guys, guy thing, is, is that guys want to know when they see a souped-up car, how many horses does it have? How much power does it have? Because they want to know, they know power translates to road, the best, but it translates from power under the hood to actually power on the street. Now, I have a brother who has a nice Corvette, and, and it has some power behind it. And brother likes to open it up every once in a while. But for guys, power signifies something. Even when you look at the corporate world, people tell you you got to get to know such and such if you expect to make it, right? They recognize that in this person lies power, and I want to try to get close to them because I want to get someplace. We need to understand, though, the corporate world has limited power. When Christ says that all power has been given unto me in earth and in heaven, it is not something that he attained for the first time. It is something that Christ already had from the beginning, and he divested, or when he came to earth, he willingly set that part aside in regards to knowing all things or doing all things, left that in the Father's hand and says, I'm going to now submit myself to my Father in order to purchase the salvation that only I could do for you and for me. When he had completed his job, he says, Now I have now again been given all authority and all power in earth and in heaven. The unfortunate thing for too many people in the church is that they refuse to hook up with Jesus. They try to find power all every, every place else, but the Lord says, I have it all. All authority, all power has been given to me. Satan has so deceived people into believing that Jesus has no power. Look at all the stuff that's happening in the world. Look at how the world system is going. Look at how all the abuses are taking place. If Jesus is who he says he is, then these things would not be taking place. So people say. So people today have equated their personal formula as a formula that God has failed to put into action. My formula says that all power means that there would be no suffering in the world. Everyone, whether they wanted to or not, would be able to go to heaven without going through Jesus Christ. Now notice that Jesus was sent by God, and after having completed his assignment, all authority that he had even before the world is now given back into his hands. If people really want to connect to the power source. They must connect to Jesus. If you want to operate an eight-cylinder car on two cylinders, you're going to have some problems. 
you're probably not going to reach your destination. You're going to be sputtering and spewing and kicking. And you want that car running on all cylinders. If one is not functioning properly, firing correct, correctly, you're going to have problems. And yet, somehow, many don't want to connect with the source. Just like you take care of your car. Some do, I guess, some, John, some people. They'll let, that, they'll let the oil go to its 50,000 miles. Oh, you need to change. Oh, change, I have to change the oil? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, eventually. It'll let you know eventually. I, I got to eventually change, have the spark plugs changed. Yeah. I need to tune up ever so often. Yes, yes, yes. It requires maintenance. And the Lord says that all power has been given to me, and it's not for the purpose of sitting down and doing nothing with it. It's for the purpose of going out and making disciples. The great commission was given to the disciples at the point when Jesus was about to leave. And when he says all power has been given to me, it is for the purpose of you doing the work that I've called you to do is winning souls for me. I want you to notice quickly. Matthew 28, 19. The first thing that the Lord commissions is for them to go. Stop there. That is the first thing. He says, go. He didn't say stop. He said, go. The second step in verse 19 is make disciples. Disciples comes from the Greek word mathematicus and means to do what? To multiply. The second thing he told them to do was to make disciples. The third thing that he says to do is to baptize. Baptism does not save you. It points out that Christ has come into your life and that you belong to him. It is a symbol of his death. The fact that when we go into the watery grave, we are saying, I am dying to my sins. And when we come up out of the water, it is saying that I am now rising to walk in newness of life as Christ rose from the dead. The resurrection, I am coming out of the water as being resurrected with him to walk with him. That's what baptism symbolizes. When I hear, I was baptized as a in, in funeral, um, such and such was baptized as a child, as a young child, way back, and didn't have any idea of knowing who the Lord was. It was just something that everybody did. That's why we don't do infant baptism. The Bible doesn't talk about it. He told them, the first thing, you go. Second thing, you make disciples. You let them know what the requirement is. Yeah. Then you baptize. People got it backwards. They're baptizing before people even saved. Sprinkling little babies. Now, we dedicate babies to the Lord. We'll do baby dedications, but not baptism. So baptism, baptism is for the believer, not the sinner. And it doesn't save. So the thing I want to know when I see that, they were knew the Lord at a, or baptized at a young age, I want to know, are they saved? Do they know the Lord? That's what I want to know. The fourth thing that he says in this passage. Now, teach them. Oh, my goodness. You mean after they go, make disciples, baptize, they've got to be taught? That was the fourth thing he told them to do before he left. In that passage, now go and you teach them. And, 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 and look at this. 
teach them the word, and teach them to go out and make other disciples. When I see in the body of Christ the lack of Bible study and people attending and reading the scripture and learning, I say, Lord, what is that about? The enemy has so blinded eyes that Bible study and, and, the, and the teaching of the word of God is not important today. Do you not know it's the word of God that's going to last forever? Even if a person, I, I'm going twice a month. No, when we don't attend, the Bible says in this commission, which is called the Great Commission, the fourth thing is that teach them. Oh, today people love music. I love music. I like to play. Sometimes I can get in my own little world. They be doing, oh, I'm supposed to be following y'all? I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> doing something totally different. <laughs> get into my own world. I got to walk sometimes, right? When I play, it is for the glory of God. It is for the purpose of edifying the body that they may hear what the preacher is going to say so they can hear. When people don't avail themselves to the word of God, Satan, as it says, comes and steals that word from them. Just like the seed that was sown, the birds of the air came and picked it off because it lied, it was laying exposed, just all open. Then there were some that fell in thorny places, and the, the seed that fell in thorny places, when the world gets so much, I got so much to do, so much going on, I can't go. It just chokes it out, and then one gravitates. That's why those who just come to the Lord, it's important for them to get in Bible study because the enemy is busy trying to woo them back to himself. It will help us in our behavior because the job is to teach and then to go. Because what you are taught, what you hear, remember, the word of God lasts forever. Your obedience to the Great Commission will pay eternal dividends. And then finally, Jesus said that you are not going alone. Look at the thing that he says at the end. And surely I am with you. If he has all that power, all that authority, and he tells you to go and then says, I'm going with you, man. Rick, I, I'm, 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 on, I'm going. Y'all going? I'm going. I'm going. I got Christ with me. Oh, woe is me. I'm going by myself. I got no help. and got no Lord. God, and I'm just out there by my own self. I don't know what I'm going. You got the king of glory with you. You and the Lord. You are majority. Go in the power of the Lord. If Christ is with you, then he controls the outcome. Obedience is not controlling the outcome of what God has told you to do. What pleases God is obedience. Bow your head. Today many people have made excuses, and I want you to take an inventory of your life. And say, am I obeying the Great Commission? Am I going? Am I making disciples? Am I baptizing? Now, we know the pastors oftentimes baptize, but are, am I bringing them to a place of the body where they can be baptized? And, and am, I, am I teaching? Am I exposing 
myself to everything that's available to me. You don't get hired on a job and go back home and say, I got hired. I'm going back home and sit down now. You go there and they say, okay, we're going to be training you for the next few months. You'll be paid for the time you're here, but you're going to get trained for the next few months. You're there. The Great Commission says that one must be taught in the order that one must go. I don't care how much power you got under the hood. If it never leaves the garage, it ain't no good. Go ahead and rev up the engine. It ain't going nowhere. Got to put it in drive. You got to take a chance. Oh, somebody might hit my car. Yep, that's true. I might get hurt out there. That's true. But you got the king of glory going with you. And if you're in his will, he controls what happens in your life. We need to stop making the excuses of why we don't go and do. But do what God says. And some of our stopped blessings would begin to flow because we are doing what God says and we are being obedient to his holy word. Today, Lord, in this place, we pray that you will be honored and exalted and lifted up. We pray that we will learn to obey the great commission. That we'll learn to flow and to follow the king of glory. We'll learn to trust the Lord. We'll learn to go where the Lord has told us to go. And just be obedient. The Lord says that one plants, another waters. But it's the Lord that gives the increase. So we pray today that in obedience to the word of God, that we'll leave the results unto you. And in your mighty and capable hands. We do love you, we do bless you, we give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.